Welcome to Life's a Beach. I'm Bruce Hopkins, better known as Hoppo from Bondi Rescue. Each week I'll be sharing some stories, the good, the bad and everything in between. I'll be chatting to guests about their life experiences and giving our listeners an insight to the challenges we have faced in our lives. We'll share a few jokes and some banter along the way and hopefully our experiences will resonate with you. As the saying goes, while life's a beach, it can also be a bitch. Hey everyone, this week on Life's a Beach, in the Beach Shack, it's a person that has been on Home and Away, he's been on Bondo Rescue, Ryan Whippet-Clark, he joins me and tells the story about how he raised money for charity and then completed the English Channel Swim. It's an amazing effort, an amazing story, so now let's sit back and listen to my chat with Whippet. Okay, this week in the Beach Shack, it's a pleasure. He's come back. I've had him in before, but he's gone and done something quite amazing and swam the English Channel. Whippet, how are you, mate? Good, mate. How are you? Yeah, really good. Now, what an amazing achievement, mate. It's uh, something must be something that's come along and you've had so many, I suppose, years considering how this swim would happen and how did it begin? Yeah, mate, it's one of those things, like, I was never a swimmer as a kid, like, I didn't do squad or anything like that, but I did start doing some ocean swims probably, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, like, I've always done the Bondi to Bronny swim and, and, you know, working on the beach, you know, we're in the ocean a lot, and, you know, as a kid, you used to watch, you know, Susie Moroni or something do the channel, and I, I always just thought, that's out of control, like, why would you ever want to do that, and how would you ever do it and put yourself through that? And then more recently, like, as I said, I started doing some ocean swims and enjoyed that. Obviously nothing, nothing long distance over 5Ks, but I was inspired by, you know, Quinn Darrow, who's one of the boys from our service, lifeguard service, and Luke Stewart, another mate who had a crack at it in 2020. And, yeah, I was just, I just sort of, that beca- it, it just made it become more real. When you see someone you know do it, you kind of go, well, hang on, logistically, if they can organise it, I can organise it. And if they can get over there and give it a crack, then I can too. And and from that, I knew Luke was going to go back and, and have a second attempt at it this year. And, and I always sort of said, when when I watched them do it, I said, oh, if, if one of them didn't make it and, and I went and they went to do it again, I'd sign up and, and have a crack so they had someone to train with. And, yeah, it's, it's been one of them things. For me, it was never a lifelong goal, but it's a – a big tick you know it's a box to tick and and I love pushing myself with endurance events like the Ironman and Molokai and coast to coast and this is sort of the last big one you know for me to be able to tick it off and uh, and you know kind of get it done yeah it was awesome for me to be able to do that and, and go over and yeah it, it was a, it was a big preparation 18 months of, of sort of training First six months was pretty cruisy and then, you know, a, 12, a full 12-month prep with the last sort of three to four months being pretty intense. And, you know, you give up a lot of surf time and family time and work time and all that to be swimming or, or sleeping. But, yeah, it's it's been a big journey and I'm just over the moon that it's over and uh, and I got it done successfully. And, mate, uh We'll talk about the training because I know I remember watching you go from Coogee to Bronny to Bondi, you know, back to Bronny, Coogee. Some of those swims were quite long. You're in the water for a long time. And how did you find with the shoulders and, and dealing with, you know, so many kilometres? It was just one of those things that, um, you know, with time you build up resilience to, you know, your shoulders. As I said, I was never a swimmer when I was young in terms of squad and stuff. So I hadn't done a lot of swimming. So, yeah, it was just something I had to build my body up for and, and you know, over weeks, months, and then, you know, over 12 months, you, you kind of build up a resilience. And, you know, what was a big swim at the start was 3 or 4K became the smaller swims you did. And what seemed out of reach at the start, 10Ks became the normal and I was doing them back-to-back day after day. And, yeah, you just you get used to spending a lot of time in the ocean. It's a place I like being, though, so that's not too bad. 
Now, for the overseas listeners who think we're crazy out here, we swim in the ocean, obviously there's a the shark factor. Now, did you see many sharks? There, there was a shark attack, I think, not far away from where you're doing the swims. Uh, did that play on your mind at all? Yeah, definitely. I've always been pretty conscious of sharks. I know they're there. You know, We don't luckily have too many around our, our area, but unfortunately during my prep, the guy was all eaten um, just south of us about 15 minutes. So that really did play on my mind. As it happened, I actually just had got COVID. And so I had to have a week stuck at home anyway. And then from there, we ended up having like a really bad run of storms. The surf was out of control and the water was filthy. We had all those floods around Sydney, which led to the ocean being pretty much unswimmable. So whether it was good timing or not, I ended up having about six weeks out of the ocean and just swimming in a pool, which was probably a good thing because it sort of settled down and and what, you know, everyone else kind of got back into ocean swimming again and, and that sort of stuff. So it definitely played on my mind. I don't swim far out. Like I know I swim around headlands, but I ended up hitting the rocks a lot of times just because I'd swim so close and then, you know, water would drain off and I'd be dry docked on a reef somewhere. But yeah, it's, it's in the back of your mind the whole time, which was one good thing about the channel is there isn't any sharks there really. So yeah, yeah. that kind of puts that at ease. And how do you find cold water? Is it something you don't mind or is it something you really had to adjust to? It's something I had to adjust to. I remember swimming with Murph Renford, who was sort of coached me the whole way through. The, the year that I started the training, like 12 months ago, probably 14 months now, there was a freezing cold day in like June and we went down and we did some laps of Bondi. I think we did 10 laps, which is solid, like it's 8Ks, but it was cold. It was like 9 degrees outside or 10 degrees outside and the water was pretty cold. And I got out, I was freezing, like 20 minutes in a hot shower, cold for hours after. And it, I realized then that I'd have to adapt better to cold water. So it just came down to, you know, when I surfed, I didn't wear as thick a wetsuit. I tried to adapt to the cold, just wearing a shorter wet, like, you know, less wetsuits or surfing in boardies when it was cold. And and then just the swimming over time, you, you adapt a little bit. Your body gets used to sort of being under pressure in, in colder environments. And mentally, you get a lot better with it. The more you do it, the better you get being in the cold. And yeah, over time, I, I, I sort of learned to embrace it and just sort of put it out of my mind. I had some really cold swims in the couple of months leading up to when I left swimming down at Botany Bay. It was like sort of 14 degrees. Balmoral was the same. And then I had my six-hour qualifying swim, which was probably the hardest swim I did or have ever done. And that was on a freezing cold day. It was like five degrees when we got in the water outside um, and 15 or 14 in. So doing six hours in that really put me in good stead to be able to know that my body could keep pushing and functioning in the cold. And touching on that with a qualifying time, what is that time you need to do? And is it uh, is it based over six hours? Yeah, it's just six hours in water under 16 degrees. So it's got to be 15 point something or less. Um, and it's they're not that fussed on how far you go. It's just the matter of, of staying in the water. And, you know, apart from when you stop for a quick feed, yeah, being moving the whole time. So uh, I, think, I think my... T- I did 20Ks in my six-hour qualifying swim, but I struggled. After about half an hour, I was, I was literally freezing cold and I didn't get much warmer until I got out. <laughs> so <laughs> it, was, um, it was a big learning curve and it taught me a lot about the temperature of your feeds um, and the drinks that you have. They were all heated, but they weren't hot enough. And, and after an hour or so, Quinn Darrow, who successfully swam the channel, he was like, you know, said to Gene and my wife who was there, he was like, make the drinks so hot that he can just get them in mm. without burning his mouth. But they need to be that hot to rewarm his core up. So, yeah, that was a great learning curve. And I learned a lot about nutrition and how to, you know, fuel the body while swimming um, when you can't eat any solid foods just through drinks and the types of drinks and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was, it was a great learning curve and the, the cold just – as, as I said, I, I started to learn to embrace it and cold is mental 90% for me. The minute you think you're cold, you start getting cold. But if you can put that aside, you kind of stay warmer for a lot longer. Well, with that being the first time you're in such cold water for a long period of time, 
like mentally, where did you go? Like weird places, or what? You know, obviously swimming up and down. Things must be going through your head. To be honest, it was horrible. I uh, I really didn't enjoy that day much at all. It was the first time that I'd put a like. I had a time limit on my swim. I'd done a lot of like three-hour swims and a couple like four-hour swims and it was more about distance than it was time. But this one I knew I had to stay in for six hours no matter whether I swam 24Ks or 16Ks, it was it was six hours. So, yeah, and mentally I, I struggled that day and, and it, wasn't, it wasn't pretty. There was a few swear words going down, in, especially in my own head, but even out loud. But I had a really good support team with me that day. One of the boys, Brent, who swam a lot with me in my build-up, he jumped in and he did the whole six hours with me and he wasn't whinging. So I was like, sort of had to toughen up and, and try and keep, keep going with him. And, you know, I had Lukey Stewart jumped on the kayak. I had Reedy, Will Bigelow, a couple of lifeguards come and, and paddle for me at different stages. So, yeah, it was good. And Gina and the kids came over for the last sort of two hours of it and were on the – you know, wharf as we swam around Balmoral and holding up signs. So all that kind of stuff builds your spirits up and, and made it a little bit easier. But yeah, that that cold swim for my for my qualifying swim was really tough. And from that time though, when you completed that, did you think, yeah, now I'm I'm ready, I can complete this English channel? Yes and no. In some ways it scared me more just because I, I knew how bad I how much it hurt to do that one. I was like, I've got to swim at least double that. So if I'm in this way for 12 hours, then I'm going to be in a pretty bad state when I get out. But it also gave me a lot of confidence in the fact that I hurt, I struggled so, like I was hurting so much cold-wise, but I could keep going and mentally I could keep myself going. I never wanted to, as much as I didn't want to be in there, there was no time when I was like, I want to give up. So I did take a lot out of that swim. And as I said, learning from my feeds to be hotter. And once I got them hotter, after an hour or so or two or three feeds of being hotter, I actually did start to warm up a bit. So, yeah, it, it gave me confidence, but it also just kind of scared the shit out of me as well. But all I knew was after that swim was that I wanted the channel to hurry up because I didn't want to have to do too many more of, the, <laughs> do too many more of those swims. <laughs> now, you mentioned Luke Stewart. He, he attempted the previous year. He was trained with you. Then he unfortunately got some shoulder injuries. Now, how shattering was that to deal with? Mate, it was really tough. Lukey's an incredible person and, and so driven and as tough as they come mentally. And physically, it was just such a shame. He, he'd, he'd swum in 2020 and, and he just take, he took on like swimming's Everest with not a lot of training time. They did it through COVID. They had no access to pools. They had no access to group training. They were swimming, you know, laps of Clovelly in the dark and it wasn't an ideal prep and, you know, unfortunately he didn't make it that year. And when he signed up to do it again, I knew that he was determination and his improvements that he made in his training was so huge that, you know, the confidence was there from everyone in his camp that, that it would have been a successful swim. And to have him, you know, we did a 24-hour relay swim together. We did 12 hours in the pool each at the icebergs. And he, he held up through that you know, probably better than I did shoulder-wise. My shoulder was pretty cooked after that. And unfortunately, just, yeah, wear and tear got him. And it, his shoulder ended up deteriorating really quickly and, and badly. Like, so I dare say he's, he's in for surgery when he can, you know, get that sorted. And it was devastating for him, but it was pretty devastating for me too, knowing that, you know, we'd started the journey together. But unfortunately, he wouldn't be there when it was our time to swim because we were booked for the same week. So he would have been in England together at the same time, ready to go. Yeah, it would have been um, quite tough, but he still was there and, and supporting you to make sure that you got over to do the swim. Yeah, and that shows what type of bloke he is. But um, he, he never, like once we, unfortunately, like he tried everything. He had cortisones, he was doing physio. He had pretty much everything he could do to get the shoulder to a place where it would hold up. But knowing that you're going to swim potentially 11, 12, 13, 14. You know, people have done the swim this year in 17, 18 hours. Um, you can't go over there with an injury that you think won't be able to hold up to that time or you're just you're selling yourself short and if it doesn't work, you've wasted probably more injuries to yourself but also 
you know, it's a big effort to get there. So once we knew that his shoulder wasn't right for the swim, his focus immediately shifted from him to me and making sure that I was in the best possible position and, and place to be able to make a successful crossing. So, yeah, it was, it was super important to have him sort of there on my qualifying swim and, and, you know, pushing me and ringing me every day, making sure I was swimming enough and all that. So, yeah, it was, you know, it, it's a, it was a big ask to be able to back up and be so supportive. So it was good to have him. And also, you know, obviously you've got to have a lot of support with your family and you, you had brands on board and you're also doing it for charity. So tell us a little bit about that and why you were, you were doing it for the charity. Uh, the charity aspect of it, like I, I sort of feel if I'm ever going to sign up for something that's going to take so much of me, if I can use it to to be able to give back, and we're very lucky, obviously, through the show of Bondi Rescue and stuff, there's a bit of a platform there to be able to reach a, lo- a larger audience. So, yeah, I just I thought, you know, that charity – aspect of it would be always a good thing to do and it's you know you can give back and and improve the lives of others through that so it was a bit of a no-brainer and you know Luke was on board with the charity and we chose Ocean Heroes which is a fantastic group that started in Western Australia about six years ago and they take kids from our autistic community surfing and give them sort of ocean experiences um, that they wouldn't normally be able to get. So it's a really safe and inclusive environment for, for our autistic community. And and we held a day down at Bondi just before I left and it gave us so much purpose as to why we were putting ourselves through so much pain to see the smiles on the kids' faces and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was a it's also a driving factor as well. Like once you sign up to something and then you you start raising money for a charity, there's no there's certainly no pulling out. Not that, that that's an option really anyway, but it's, yeah, you, you kind of feel like there's a bigger purpose to your swim than just self-gratification, I guess. Well, mate, then the time's come, you know, you've got to get on the plane, head over. And uh, what was that like when you're finally getting on the plane knowing it's getting close? Yeah, that was exciting. You know, like throughout the last few months especially, like it's it takes a big toll like on your family life and my wife was unbelievable in, in the support she gave me and, you know, kicking my ass to get out the door when I didn't want to go training and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, when we got the chance to get on the plane and get over there, it was um, – it's more relief. Like you, you've swum so much and you you just want it to be over. So you, at least by getting on the plane, you know you're only a week maximum sort of from, from swimming. So – yeah, it's it's terrifying in one sense, but also, you know, it's kind of mentally soothing knowing that soon it'll be over. So, yeah, it was exciting. And the kids came and Reedy was there with us on the plane. He flew over with us as my support crew and Murph Renford, he came over a couple of days later. So I knew we were going to have a really good time around the swim. And, yeah, I was just – by then I was just ready to go. I just wanted to get it done. And then what was the prep like once you're there? You obviously got to get over the jet lag. You got to wait for the, the right conditions. Yeah, so once you get there, my wind I only got there like two days before my window opened, which some people go a week before to acclimatise or whatever. I just sort of thought, you know, with the kids and all that, I didn't want to be there too long. I knew I'd do my own head in if I was sort of stuck in the watching people do it or seeing the boats out and stuff like that. So I literally just got there and, you know, we swam every day. We were staying in Deal, which is sort of on the English Channel there. So I just sort of swam. I mean, the training's done. By the time you get there, you're not getting any fitter. It's just a matter of making the body feel fresh and, you know, getting used to the water. The water's quite salt, like a bit of a different not texture, I guess, but it's a bit, yeah, around Dover and the cliffs there where, you know, a lot of chalk in the water. It's a bit milkier and, and, and very salty. So just kind of got used to that and... Went and had a swim in Dover Harbour, which is a bit of a, you know, kind of mecca for the English Channel swimmers. Everyone has a swim through across Dover Harbour and all that kind of stuff. So it was really nice to start soaking in the the sort of history of it all. And then Murph turned up and, you know, he's done it solo. He's done it as a relay. His dad did 19 crossings. So he's got a lot of history that he taught us and showed us a lot of places that mean a lot to the English Channel and the swimming community. So that was really cool. But, yeah, once your window opens, it's sort of just a day-by-day. Day. Literally, the weather changes so quick, it's day-by-day. Day. 
waiting for a call to go yes or no, we're going, we're not going. Um, and you only find out confirmed at 6 p.m. the night before and you can be leaving any time from 1 a.m. So you don't have a lot of time once you get the go-ahead to to kind of either freak out or get yourself prepared. So it's just go time. <laughs> you know, then there was the go time. So when you got that announcement that you're on, how, how was that feeling? Yeah, it was it was relief to be honest, like we'd had a few days where we thought it was going to be on and then the weather changed and got worse and blah, blah, blah. Like there was a few issues that way and they call it the Dover Coaster. You're kind of up, you're down, you're up, you're down. You want to swim, you don't want to swim. You're ready, you're not ready. It's all these emotions. And when we're looking at the weather charts, which I was doing probably 30 times a day, when we saw that the weather was going to be good on that day and it actually – luckily fell on the day realistically from 12 months out when I booked it if we could have picked a day it would have been that day that because it had the smallest tide change the tides make such a big difference to your swim over there and and that was the smallest of the of the neat tides so yeah I was blessed to be able to do that and then when I started I had you know ideal conditions there was no wind the ocean had smoothed out and it was it was a really nice start to the swim so it got choppy later on but by then I was sort of in a rhythm and knew I was far enough across that I could probably get the other side no matter how bad it got. So and what was the water temp when you actually did the crossing? So I was I was lucky they've had a pretty hot summer over there and, and it's definitely you know that and and global warming and you know like I know people kind of say oh whatever it's not going up but if you look at the the channel temperatures this year and last year compared to, say, 10 years ago, it's definitely gone up. You know, there's no denying it. And, yeah, I was lucky we'd had some heat waves before we got there and, and that put an extra, you know, half a degree to a degree on the channel. So I started at about 18 degrees. And you go through a couple of, like, colder patches through the shipping lanes. It gets a little bit colder, but nothing, nothing like I was swimming in back here. So by the time I got to France, you know, it was, a, it was 19 plus so, yeah, it was the, the water temperature was pretty nice, to be honest. And so when you start, you jump off the boat, head to the to the mainland and start from there? Yeah. So you, your boat will take you from the harbour. Um, you load up. You've got about 10 minutes on the boat to get yourself kind of greased up, like all the zinc and sunscreen and all that, get yourself in. You have a couple of gels to get started. And, and literally they pull up about 300 metres off the beach. You swim in clear the water line um, up onto the sand and then they blow a horn and that signals the start of your swim and and then you're just on. It's a really, it was a really overwhelming feeling that, to be honest. I thought, you know, that the start would be easy because I was so fresh and, you know, ready to go. But it actually, the first half an hour was probably mentally one of the toughest for me. Just kind of going, holy shit, it's real, <laughs> it's happening and, I could be out here for a very long time. So, yeah, it's an interesting, you know, it's a great way to start. You're kind of under the cliffs of the white cliffs of Dover and, yeah, it's very historic. A lot of people have done it and, you know, a lot more people will attempt it. A lot of people, you know, but a lot of people also are unsuccessful. So there's a lot of nerves and excitement when you jump in and you just want to kind of get it started. And, you know, like anything, once you start, there's a lot less to think about. It's just one arm after the other and keeping your stroke and keeping your breathing up and making sure your feeds are good and then you you know can't control really anything else. And were you looking forward to the feeds? What were they every half an hour or something? To Were you looking forward to that next feed? Yeah, every half hour is, is like the routine for your feeds. And, yeah, you look forward to them because it, it, breaks, it breaks your swimming up and, you know, like – to be honest, I don't think I had a feed that was over 30 seconds long. But it's just that little break. It's a bit of a mental thing. And you know you've hit another milestone. I tried to not look at how far I'd been going. I just wanted to, time-wise, if I looked, I'd know I've got 10 minutes to my feed or five minutes to my feed. But on my watch, I thought I'd switch the alerts for the distance off, but I hadn't. So I, I knew every kilometre was, was ticking over. But it actually kind of kept me in a, a good rhythm because it – it kind of helped me sort of stick to trying to get out 2Ks every half hour, which I was close to for most of it until I, to the end it actually picked up because you get a little bit of help with the current. But I look forward to the feeds. It's a, it's a different feed every half an hour for probably 
two and a half hours and you sort of two and a half, three hours, and then you cycle through those feeds. Um, and it's just a mix of different, you know, gels, drinks, hydrolyte, staminade, like this myocyte and stuff from body science that I was really enjoying the flavor of and also it helps. So yeah, and a bit of sustagen and those types of things. So mix up your feeds and, and as I said, like with the different feed every half an hour, you kind of looked forward to the next one and a new flavor in your mouth. So yeah, it was, it was, it was good, but it's also a bit daunting knowing that you've got to kind of do 20 of those feeds to the channel. So your guts, you know, you start to feel it. You put that much sugar and energy sort of into your body, your stomach's going to start to feel it after a while. Mate, did you get any, as you said, in that pre-qualifying swim, did you get any head noise because now it was double that amount of time? Did you go through all different, you know, times of, of different thoughts through your head? Yeah, I definitely did. After the six-hour swim, and I was kind of hoping in that six-hour swim to probably get out like 22K, um, and I only got 20 out. I don't know whether that was just because I was so cold or where we were swimming at Balmoral. You're not getting any assistance one way or the other with currents really or anything like that. Um, and I think our feeds were just a bit longer because it was so cold. I was trying to warm up a little bit. But, yeah, it definitely freaked me out a bit knowing that, you know, six hours was probably going to be just over halfway. And in the end, it ended up, you know, I ended up having a really good swim and, and doing a good time. But, yeah, the fear of being in the water that long was definitely there. And it wasn't until... You know, even when I hit six hours and you're in the middle of the ocean in the shipping lanes of the English Channel, you, I, I actually kind of was like, whoa, hang on. Now I'm in uncharted territory. I've never swum longer than this. And so whatever happens from here is probably going to hurt. I was just lucky the body held up really well for another few hours. And it wasn't until sort of over 30K and about eight, you know, sort of seven and a half to eight hours that my shoulder started to play up a little bit. But even then it was never bad enough that, you know, I thought it would, would end my swim or I'd, I'd have to give up. So you're on a good pace. There's no time you thought, geez, I'm not going to make this. It was always a progression. You thought, yeah, I'm going okay. Yeah. Well, my, my whole goal, I'd, I'd been watching so many people over the weeks or months before attempt. And I kind of had this point on the map that I knew I wanted to get to when the water started, when the tide changed. So I did ask a couple of times have I gone past the R, of like on the on the map, like it says the Strait of Dover. And so I knew most people who'd gotten past the R before the t- tide changed and then came down with it, either hit it on the way down or just missed it and had to loop back just a little bit. So, yeah, I, I was – conscious of where I was and and the speed that I was traveling at but to be honest I felt pretty good the whole way and I never I never thought that I wasn't going to make it there was never a point you know you go through mental ups and downs but you know that's all part of endurance racing that's you know why we sign up for these things is is to push yourself and see how you go when you get under pressure and fatigue and they're kind of you know as weird as it sounds, kind of some of the enjoyable bits because, yeah, you're really pushing yourself and, and your mental capacity to to maintain a stroke and to keep swimming. So, yeah, it was it was good. And, and But as I said, I never felt at any point that I wouldn't make it. A few times I just kind of thought, wow, how long is this going to take? Um, but, yeah, it was it ended up being, you know, not, not that bad in the end, so it was good. And then when you got the tide, could you feel that behind you a bit when you did the tide did change? It's interesting. Like as my as the tide changed and I started to swim, you're still swimming across it, but it's kind of dragging you down to where you want to land. I actually the wind had picked up by then and it got quite bumpy and rocky. And with the boat, like that, I mean the boat's sort of in idle or like in as low a gear as it can be, just so it pushes forward. But the boat takes off, like it'll kind of catch a little runner or like, you know, a bit of a chop will push it forward and, and you might lose 15 metres on the boat for a while. It actually felt like I was going backwards. And because when you stop for a feed, you're near the front of the boat when you start your feed and then you're 15 metres, 10 metres off the back of the boat by the time you finish it, it always feels like you're going backwards. Um, but it was it was actually a blessing in the end that my alerts on my phone or on my, on my watch were on because I was looking at my 
splits early on and, and they were sort of around that 16-minute mark. And I remember being at like t- the 24K mark, which was sort of six hours. It was about six hours, 15. So I knew I was only about 15 minutes behind sort of sitting on 130 pace, which was you know better than I thought I'd be. And then when I started swimming with the current a little bit, they started dropping. You know, next thing you're doing like 1540s, 1520s, down back into 14 minutes for a K. So it actually gave me a lot of motivation to keep going and to see how quick I could sort of push out a K or two at a time. And yeah, it was, that was really positive for me, you know, at that sort of seven, eight hour mark, I knew I was, I knew I was moving and I knew I was moving in the right direction. France is very deceiving. You see the cliffs from probably three, four hours out, three hours and, and they don't get any closer because it's not where you're landing. You're drifting down the coast. So it just feels like you're not getting anywhere. So I did ask a few times, am I actually going forwards? And they were like, yeah, you're doing good. You're doing good. So, yeah, that keeps your spirits up. And as I said, like knowing that you're doing under 15-minute Ks in the ocean is, is good swimming. So I felt strong and that and that buoyed me on to, to swim harder and faster. And how, how important is it to have a good crew and, and a – or a boat skipper, the boat must have played a big role. Yeah, the, I mean, the skippers over there, you know, obviously there's some that are more experienced than others and, and they they realistically, you know, without defining whether you get there or not, they, they pretty much control the direction you swim, the line you take and whether your swim can be, well, successful or unsuccessful or you know, an 11-hour swim compared to a 14, 15-hour swim if you miss the landing spot and you've got to wait for the tide again. So having Murph on the boat who'd done it a few times and, you know, he was counting my strokes every feed. He'd be giving me updates on my stroke count per minute, which I've never counted ever, but at least I knew I was holding a good pace. And Reedy was amazing on the boat. He was, you know, he's always a ball of energy. So he was providing the, the positive reinforcements and Murph, and Matt, the guy from Red Top, the swimming group that I'd gone through, who was doing my feeds, they were sort of more the technical side of things. So it was good. You get the, you know, you get the right information in a 20, 30 second window of your feed, and then it's just head down. You're on your own again. But yeah, it, it was good. Looking up at the boat and seeing Reedy and Murph was very comforting as well. Like, it's a scary place to be when you're 20 k's from land. Either way, you're in the middle of the ocean and whilst. Sharks aren't really an issue. You've got cargo ships coming past and it's still a daunting place to be. So knowing that you've got, you know, close friends that will be there for you if you need them, um, that helps That helps mentally as well as physically. Because when you're going so long, there could be a period of time where your body, you might be feeling okay, but it doesn't take long before your body can just start shutting down. Yeah, and that's, we spoke about that, you know, and Matt, who's on the boat, who does it, that's his job of crossing, doing English Channel crossings with people. He talked a fair bit about a lot of other swimmers and their moments of their period of fatigue. Um, and he was like, mate, you're probably going to go through a period and that can last from 20 minutes to half an hour. Some people struggle for two hours and then they come good again. So, yeah, it was – I was lucky. I never felt like I really went into one of those fatigue periods. I had some, you know, moments mentally that were a bit tougher, but – Physically, I never felt like I, I waned along the way. So, yeah, it was just always good looking up at a comforting face of people you know on the boat. And, yeah, I, I, was, I was stoked to have them there because when you finish as well, it also it's good to be able to celebrate with people that you care about and that have put a lot of time and effort into you before the swim, like into me. So, yeah, it was awesome. So would you say it's, it's more of a mental swim than a physical swim? It's both. Like I would, yeah, I'd go as far as to say it's nearly 50-50. If you've done the work physically, then mentally it's probably more important to be on top of your mental game. If physically you haven't done the Ks and the training, then your body will just not be up for it. Whether your mind, you know, some people get in there and their mind is fine and they say, oh, yeah, I can keep going, I can keep going, but they're just going backwards. They're not physically swimming well enough to to push against the currents. Um Whereas I, I, you know, done a lot of training and knew my swimming was capable of getting me across in what time or whatever. Yeah, I don't, I didn't know, but for my mental state, that was, 
you know, that's always the thing that you, you hope you're mentally strong enough and, and I guess you don't know until you really, really test yourself. And then coming towards the end, did they tell you you've only got like 10 minutes to go or you know, how far out before you knew, geez, I'm not far here? It was interesting. I left, I think I was boat number 10 to leave that day. Like people had left 20 minutes, half an hour, an hour before me. And over the, you know, the first nine hours I'd caught everyone that was in front of me. And I mean, not that you're racing, but it's it's always kind of nice to know that you're, you're picking people off. And for me, like when I had my tough mental periods, I actually thought about the people that I'd swum past and thought, if they're still going <laughs> and they know that they've got hours longer than I do in the water, you know, if they can keep going, I can keep going. So it was kind of positive. And I, I was catching up to the last boat when it got quite choppy. I was, I was handling the chop quite well. And Murph was like, mate, you, you're a K behind this boat. And then you fight, you're 800 metres behind the boat. And then he was like, mate, give it to it, see if you can catch it. And those little things for a competitive person like myself help. But once we got a couple of Ks out from the land, like when they said, oh, you've got like four Ks to go, I was like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm getting into shallower water. It should start to smooth out a bit. I'm swimming under 15-minute Ks, so I knew that I was probably under an hour to go. And yeah, that was it was a good feeling kind of when you got when I knew that I was going to make it, it sort of made the last little bit more enjoyable and then the boat stopped with probably like a k and a half, 2k's to go just because it gets shallower and and you know, they just send a little a little boat in to follow you to bring you back out, but yeah, once that stopped and I knew I was on the home stretch, I could kind of give it all that I had left and, and you know, bring the kick back in and start to swim a little harder. It was it was a really nice enjoyable last kilometre. Yeah, you're close to shore, you know you're going to make it. And Reedy was in the water swimming with his flippers and his GoPro <laughs> next to me. And, and it was, you know, even though I think I swore at him a couple of times to give me more space, I, uh, I it was nice to know that I was going to finish it with such a good mate in the water. And, yeah, it was, it was enjoyable that last bit. Well, lucky you had the flippers on because after you've done that, that many hours swimming, you probably you still struggle with keep up with you for a 500 meters so yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah he, he's not the best swimmer so <laughs> yeah it was uh it was good he actually jumped in because you're allowed people people can jump in and swim with you in the middle of the channel um as long as they don't ever go in front of you they can kind of swim beside you or just just behind you so murph jumped in and did half an hour with me at about six hours and that was really good to to pick my pace up and you know, just change the monotony of swimming by yourself. And then Reedy got in. It was actually quite choppy when he got in. He, I mean, he got out and he said, mate, that was terrible. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not getting back in. Um, until the end, he wanted to film it and be there right at the end. So it was nice to have him in there for the last sort of 15 minutes or so. And then what was the feeling like when you got to the land, stood up, that first initial feeling that you've completed the English Channel? Mate, the first time I stood up, I was actually like I hit these rocks that were quite shallow and I was I stood up but I was still like knee deep and I, I kind of claimed it and I was like, yes, it's done and they didn't sound the horn. And someone was like, keep swimming, you haven't cleared the water yet. So I was like, oh, shit. So I had to kind of climb over those rocks and swim another 100 metres or so. But, yeah, it was just sort of relief, a bit of elation that it was that it was done and like I was a bit shaky on the legs. You're trying to stand on sharp rocks when you haven't used your legs for sort of 10 hours is uh, is pretty tough. But, yeah, it was it was just nice. The sun was out. You know, there was a lot of people that come down to watch people finish the English Channel. They know when the boats are out there and they all kind of gather on the beach. So they're all cheering you on. And it was just a feeling of, like, relief that it was over and, you know, proud of your accomplishments, obviously. But, yeah, it was just – I was just more kind of – bit of shock that it, that it was done and, you know, 18 months of work and all the mental and physical kind of anguish you go through to get there is is over and, yeah, it's a lot of relief. Once you're finished, do you have to go back to the boat? How do you get back to the to where you were? Yeah, so they, they send in a little, um, like a, it was like a little rowboat, like literally, you know, two metres little timber boat and the guy had his oars. He followed me in and so once you've got a couple of minutes when you get there um, to sort of gather yourself and 
you know, do whatever you want to do. A, a tradition sort of to grab a rock from the French side. Um, so, you know, I made sure I grabbed a couple of rocks and got a photo with one of the French guys who follows the English channel a lot. He took a photo and Reedy was there and then it was sort of like, sweet, my little boat's here to take me back out and I just got in that and I think when I was sitting in that boat was when the realisation that it was done sort of sunk in and that was just, yeah, just relief and, you know, you're pretty empty. You've used most of your happy endorphins trying to get yourself across. You're kind of pretty exhausted but it was also that feeling of like I was just stoked, to be honest, that it was done and, you know, that it was not as bad as what I thought it would be and that I actually enjoyed most of the swim and that the body, you know, whilst the shoulders were stiff and sore, they weren't, the body had held up well. And yeah, I was just, I was just stoked to be on the way back to a a warm towel and a warm drink and, you know, the boat ride home. And then how was it when you then saw the family after that? Mate, that was awesome. Like we FaceTimed on the boat on the way back and I got to speak to mum and dad and my brother and stuff back at home, which was good. But then coming back into the dock down in Folkestone where the boat's stored in the harbour and sort of as we came in, I could see the kids and Gina up on the rocks. So that was really nice. Yeah, like it was a big effort from the whole family to get over there and to get it done. So, yeah, I was. it was really good to see the kids and G. And then after that, you had a good break? Yeah, mate, after that, I... I I'd planned a holiday through Europe. Like, obviously, it's not something you do every day, go over to England, one, to swim the channel, but just to get there with the family. So we wanted to make the most of that. Mate, I just literally, for the next few days, I just ate food and drank beers. And then we went to, we sort of went up to London, had a bit of time there. And then we went to Paris, Ibiza, finished up in Rome. So we had like an extra couple of weeks through Europe which was awesome. It was just a, a good time to spend time with, you know, Gina and the kids because obviously I'd neglected that side of family life a little bit for the few months leading up and just to enjoy not having to go swimming training. If I didn't want to get out of bed early, I didn't have to. If I didn't want to do anything, I didn't have to. So, yeah, all of those things just made for a really good holiday after. And Yeah, but it's good to be back and, you know, getting back into – work at the gyms and, you know, down the beach and looking forward to summer coming around here and it getting warm again and, yeah, back into a bit of training and find something else to put the mind to now. No thoughts of doing the channel again? Certainly not yet. And my wife will say not ever. <laughs> I, I, wouldn't I wouldn't rule out doing it as a relay. I think for me personally, I swam a – a time that I never thought I'd be able to do. Nine hours 40 was a lot quicker than what I thought I would get it done in. And I had good conditions. I feel that if I ever went back, I'd probably do a swim that wasn't as good as the first one. So I don't, I don't ever need to, you know, I didn't need to do it to prove anything to anyone anyway, but to myself a little bit, but I don't need to to prove that to anyone or myself anymore. And, you know, we've raised a lot of money for, for charity now and Ocean Heroes, you know, we're going to be able to set up an arm of it on the east coast of Australia and, and get our kids from our autistic community going, surfing and enjoying the ocean. So, yeah, I, I won't, I certainly won't be signing up for a, a solo crossing again, you know, without it being a, a reason why I had to do it, I guess, yeah. Well, mate, it's, a you know, the end goal, you've completed it. Also uh, setting up for the Ocean Heroes, you know, that's the, the end goal, you're going to help so many you know, autistic kids for years to come just from what you achieved in uh, doing the channel. So congratulations and a fantastic time. That time's a, an unbelievable time. So, mate, thanks for uh, coming in. And Does that get me out of the swim test at work this year? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we might have to think about that. Yeah, I'll, uh, I think I worked it out. It was about 5,800s um, <laughs> under the normal time, so I should be right. Under. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, a pretty good effort. Looking forward to just getting back to a bit of normality and training sessions where 45 minutes actually make you feel good about yourself not having to train for three or four hours. So, yeah, mate, it was, it was a you know, great achievement personally and you know for the whole team that helped me get there, I'm, I'm stoked. And 
the support from my muscle chef and body science was exceptional from start to finish. And yeah, I'm just stoked how it all went. And I'm really excited for the next chapter of Ocean Heroes. And as you said, for years to come, that's going to enhance the lives of kids from our autistic community. So that's sort of a lot bigger than the swim itself. Well, well done, mate. uh, Thanks for coming in, sharing your story. It's been uh, great to listen to it. No worries, mate. Thanks for having me. Now let's go to Beach Banner. This week in the Beach Shack, it's a pleasure to have Will Bigelow, who has uh, been working as a lifeguard for a few years, but I thought I'd get him in and chat about what he was doing before he became a lifeguard, and that was with uh, Let's Go Surfing and uh, teaching people to surf. So, Will, give us a little rundown, mate, on uh, what you used to do there. Thanks again for having me on, Bruce. Third time. Must like me. (laughs) Yeah, so before I became a lifeguard, I've had a number of jobs since I finished school. But before becoming a lifeguard, my most memorable was working at the surf school. And growing up down at Bondi, you know, there's – not much to do. You either play sport or you surf or hang down at the beach. So, you know, I love the beach and I love teaching people. So going to the surf school was probably the best um, best option for me. I got a job there. I think it was about 2011 or 2012. And in between working there, I was playing rugby and I, I, just, I just loved it. There's such a, a thrill from teaching people from other countries who have never seen surf or people who don't even know how to swim, teaching them to surf and stand up for the first time. And it led to a lot of really cool opportunities for me in that realm. Uh, I got to teach famous people. Calais Campbell from the uh, Arizona Cardinals taught him. He's a big fella, a couple of NBA players. And, yeah, it was just – it was a really, really cool time. I did that for about six or seven years. And I also met my now fiance. She she used to work at Let's Go Surfing too, so saw a good thing and uh, and took my chances and yeah she's 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 with me now. <laughs> well, mate, she probably she, did. She take a couple of head knocks on the board and the, when she was out there. Or... <laughs> yeah, oh, mate, she yeah. I think she gave me a few head knocks. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. So she, yeah, I met her. She'd been working there a bit longer than me, and yeah. she loves the water and loves surfing. So common interest and very good, mate. It's a uh... Yeah, congratulations on the uh, engagement. Oh, thanks, mate. <laughs> Look forward to having you at the wedding, mate. <laughs> what uh, with the, the must be satisfying though, isn't it? When, you, as you said before, there's you know they they come from all around the world. They don't have any experience in the water or the ocean. They come down to Bondi, and to actually teach them to even to stand up once, even if it's only for two three seconds, and the the, the smile on their face. I just see it when you're down there working and you watch them out there every day. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. It's a it's a very it's also a very personal thing, you know. People have fears of the water. They have, you know, they've never been in the surf before. They've had a bad experience, anything like that. And you, when you're one on one with someone and they're very vulnerable and they all their trust is in you, it's it's a really cool feeling just to see someone stand up, that smile on their face, and they just come back for more and more and more. And they say things like, oh, "I'll never forget this day," blah blah blah, and it's. It's really cool because you build these relationships with people from the other side of the world who I still remember and hopefully from that experience they still remember me and, you know, they leave with a really good feeling and a, and a big smile on their face. Yeah, mate, it's amazing. I watch it, you know, as we do down there as lifeguards, you watch the groups come through every day and yeah. how much they enjoy it. And you think also it's not only teach them the surfing, it's teach them a, a bit of a water safety skill as well. Yeah, well, that's that's the biggest part of it, like, that's what I think. Let's go surfing. The, the surf school at North Bondi. That's what they're they're really really passionate about. Is not just teaching people how to surf, you know, which is their bread and butter, but it's explaining how the ocean works and getting people to hear that from people who are really good in the water. You know, it, it comes off really well to you know people who don't know how to surf or people who don't know how to swim. So it's it's a really cool system of how they break it down and explain to people through drawing stuff in the sand for them. So yeah, let's go surfing. They're they're pretty good at what they do, and they're they're pretty good at uh, you know, not only just teaching people how to surf, but their knowledge of, of surfboards and the ocean is pretty cool too. Mate, what's it like being out there most of the day? You know, teaching surfing, especially the winter months, is a bit cooler. 
How tough's that? Mate, to be honest, it's it's hard, but it's it's a lot of fun. I only see it now as a lifeguard sitting in the buggy or sitting in the tower with a hot coffee when it's a howling suddenly and I look at them and I go, I can't believe I did that for seven years. <laughs> oh, those poor buggers. <laughs> oh, I feel so sorry for them. But, you know, when you're doing it, you don't notice it. You can either double wetsuit or, you know, it, it, you, just, you just crack on with it. And when people are having a good time, you sort of, you're kind of the showman when you're taking a lesson. So you can't really, you can't really show that it's, crap conditions or anything you just everything's good this is your first time so mate it's pretty good you kind of forget about it you wake up in the morning it's probably you know pissing down with rain howling southerly and you go oh no this lesson once you get down there and you see people and they've shown up in these conditions they're like oh is it you know it's raining is it still on and you just say to them you're gonna get wet anyway so let's go and they just go okay all right yeah we feel good. We feel good. Let's let's go surfing. <laughs> Unreal, mate. Now, I've just thought of another nickname for you. Uh, it, it just came to me. I don't know how, but it did. It's, it's the man that blocks the sun. <laughs> Will is so. Is, <laughs> I'm not going to go on the fat side. I'm going to say the solid, the solid side, and uh, yeah. uh, quite a good physique, mate. And uh, but yeah, that that. Solid that, uh, yeah, I think you're the man that blocks the sun. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Bruce. I'll, um, <laughs> I've, never, I've never been called that before, but, you know, there's a, there's a new line of surfers coming through Bondi. They're the plus-size surfers, and I like to think that I'm leading the charge on that. It was nice for you to, you know, get me onto the lifeguards and invite me in as a, as a plus-size lifeguard too. So there's hope for everyone. Right, uh it's all good. You're doing very well, mate, as a lifeguard. So we can, uh, we'll keep you for a bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate that. Yeah, I really do. <laughs> right. Well, it's good to have you in the beach shack, have a laugh and tell your stories, mate. It's, uh, we'll catch up down the beach soon. Thanks, mate. Always a pleasure. Now it's time to have a listen to the fans in the mailbag. This week's letter in the mailbag is from Patricia and she said, will Bondo Rescue uh, be filming again? Well, Patricia, uh, we had a year off due to COVID and the difficulties uh, to film having a crew there, plus the lifeguards, everybody getting COVID, no international tourists. So with one year off, it has been now commissioned for series 17 so all going well we should start filming again in mid-december and hopefully that series will air in australia around march april hopefully next year so thanks patricia for your letter and i'll catch everyone again next week thanks everyone for listening remember to subscribe to life's a beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions, comments, or follow us on our social media channels, which you can find in our show notes. That's it for today, beach fans. Stay safe and swim between the flags.